0: I think that we are poised in Texas to uh, lead the nation in lithium extraction from brine mining. Uh, And I'm really excited about the thought of that. I really do think Texas can be the leader in it. And I think the U.S. can be a leader across the world in it. And I'm excited to see the Texas economy benefit from uh, such a a future-oriented energy storage solution.
1: Welcome to the Land Department Podcast. The state of land and energy as we see it. Brandon, I know we got a lot of great things to talk about today, but we can't not address the mustache in the room. What, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> this I don't know is- if you're following <laughs> suit with me or what's happening here. I know. We'll I don't either. know. Okay. I've been telling people this thing's been hiding on my face for years, but I'm just, I finally
2: let it, you know, let it roam wild and free. And I don't know, man. Just, I don't, it, this thing has majestic power, Khalil. <laughs> I'm pretty sure business is just coming. My wife's looking at me with a twinkle in her eye. She called me Bert this morning. Uh, I mean, it's she, I'm looking at Trans Am's on Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> there you go. It's, did it's you write the, any tickets
1: this morning? I did issue two citations, you know, because, <laughs> It's just because now I have the power to do so citizens (laughs) arrest, man. Reagan, I can't, I can't tell if you should have FOMO right now or if you're just grateful not to be a part of this.
0: (laughs) No, to make it, to make it super coincidental last month, we had a fundraiser for the United way in our office. And the challenge that I made the office was that if we meet a certain goal, I will shave my beard and leave a mustache. And so this Friday, I am shaving my beard and leaving a mustache. Now I'll say guys, I'm not
2: shaving the top, so I won't match yeah, it completely right. Listen, <laughs> if I had a, if I had a beautiful head of hair like you, I would never do it either. Yeah, if this was my yeah. choice. This was not yeah. my choice. I have, I,
0: I appreciate that. It is, it is slowly, but surely though the widow's peak is coming.
2: So it may just be a couple years away. Man, Man. if I'd have known, if I'd have known Friday was mustache day, we'd have definitely rescheduled this. Yeah, we would have rescheduled this easily. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I might yeah. just impromptu cancel this thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll Brent, send how you, did you meet Reagan initially? So, yeah, uh, you know, so this topic that we're gonna, you know, this whole lithium extraction through produced water is kind of the thing. You know, it's it's a uh, it, it's a lot of questions, a lot of conversation, a lot of, uh, and at least in the landman world, like, what is this going to be? What can it be for us? And just coincidentally. Um, you know, we're a member of the San Antonio landman association, Saw their newsletter and Reagan was going to speak on this very topic. Um, so I didn't, hadn't met Reagan before, but we do a lot of work with his firm uh, in support of uh, his firm's clients and, um, reached out to Amanda Van Dusen here in Houston. And she said, absolutely. I could introduce you to him. And so she kindly did. And I called him up and hell, we talked about ranches and deer hunting and duck hunting for about an hour and. And then I said, oh, by the way, we do this like podcast with 15, you know, (laughs) viewers, would you like to come and talk about it? And of course he was uh, gracious enough to join us. So Reagan, very nice to have you on today, man. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and you're right. I think
0: of our hour and 10 minute conversation, an hour and eight minutes was deer, ducks and uh, (laughs) a little beer and the rest of it was uh, brine. So we... It won't like be like we're repeating topics today, since we only got to discuss it for about two minutes.
2: But I was happy to talk about other things. Yeah, same here, man. Same here. So, um, yeah. So you know, it's the new hot chick, right? <laughs> uh, for for landmen. we we um, you know, the with the electrification of America and EVs and all this stuff, everybody knew that you know the dirty secret and the dirty part of that was you know lithium extraction, and all you see when you think of that is you know, strip mining and South America and child labor and whatever else, you know, all the dirty things. And so I guess what's appealing is, you know, this is a produced water thing. And, um, and so I guess the the big question is like, you know, Hey, is it viable? Um, you know, how prominent could it be? Um, is this a real thing, you know? And then for land men, it's like, what's involved, you know, what is this? as a landman or a land company or, you know, a field landman or or in-house guy that gets thrust into this, um, you know, what do I need to know? And so um, yeah, well, maybe what we thought today is we could just kind of start from the elementary level and then go into, you know, who owns Brian, who are the players, where is this happening? Um, and then we'll just take it from there. So I, I guess my first question is, can we just kind of talk about generally how this works, like the, the concept? the basic concept of extracting lithium from produced water.
0: Yeah, I will start with the 10,000 foot view and then we can nail down from there. And as you mentioned, the electrification of America, the energy transition, the kind of blending of all the resources we're going to get power from, uh, is something we have to be cognizant of as oil and gas lawyers, as landmen, as participants in the industry, uh, it's something that the scale of which it will happen. I think we all have questions of, but there's certainly um, kind of a hybrid approach to producing power at the moment. And lithium is important because that's the way right now we store power. We store it in batteries and cars that way and the big giant battery storage facilities that you're seeing going up throughout Texas. That's doing a ton the, of that right now. It, it is the hot thing, right? I I bet we've closed, you know, a dozen battery storage agreements in the past 60 to 90 days. Uh, and yeah. I bet we didn't close a dozen of them in the year before.
2: Yeah. I think so, we've got probably <laughs> 30 Brian, I mean, uh, battery storage projects going right now across the US. I mean, it's, I mean, they, they're everywhere
0: and not just Texas, right? I mean, they are, no, they're everywhere. Yeah. yeah.
2: We're doing and, all over the country.
0: And because of that, we are in a position where this valuable substance, Uh, is now even more valuable. And we have drawn attention to the way that we got it out of the ground. And Brent, you mentioned a second ago, all the images that the thought of lithium mining conjures. And the first one is, uh, top scrape mining, um, strip mining. And that happens primarily in China and places in South America. And that is a environmentally unfriendly way to harvest a mineral. Uh, you destroy the surface doing it and it's hard on laborers and it's hard on equipment and it's hard on environments. And the great thing about what we're going to be talking about today is that brine mining, which is the extraction of useful materials that are naturally dissolved in water of high salinity, doesn't look any different from a surface impact than a water well that you'd see in, in, you know, rice irrigation farming. The surface impact is no different. Uh, you'll have some processing facilities associated with it, but that's about it. And I think that we are poised in Texas to uh, lead the nation in lithium extraction from brine mining. Uh, and I'm really excited about the thought of that. You kind of had three questions a second ago. What is it? How big can it be? And what does it mean to a landman? And uh, you know, I think we kind of answered, what is it? How big can it be? I really do think Texas can be the leader in it. And I think the U S can be, um, a leader across the world in it. And I'm excited to see the Texas economy benefit
2: from, uh, such a, a future oriented, uh, energy storage solution. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I think it's, um, you know, everything that we've heard, you know, you, you're Southern California, you know, everybody mm-hmm. saw the 60 minutes, you know, the salt and mm-hmm. sea, uh, the 60 minutes episode. And, and I think that really kind of like opened a lot of people's eyes I'm like, wow, what what could this be? And then as you really start paying attention, you start to hear about talking the smack overplay play, you mm-hmm. know, in North Louisiana, so uh, Southern Arkansas, yeah. East Texas. Um, I mean, is that kind of the part of the world where at least right now we're seeing it? I mean, is that that Absol- true?
0: Absolutely. So we've had commercial brine production and extraction of lithium in parts of the United States for several decades. Now there is a commercial facility in Nevada where they produce brine, but the difference will be what we call DLE, direct lithium extraction. So currently the facility that I referenced in uh Nevada is a facility where they produce brine through a well bore water well, just like you would any other water well. Then they put it in these big giant pits. Think of what we are familiar with as, you know, million barrel frack pits times 20. Uh, and they're, they're shallow, they take up, you know, the size of football fields and it allows the water to evaporate and leaves behind the constituent elements and minerals. And the primary, uh, useful extracted mineral in that Nevada facility is lithium. The problem is you can only do that in the deserts of Nevada, right? There are very few places in the United States where it's going to rain maybe a couple of inches of year. And you're going to have the heat and the evaporation necessary to do that at an economic pace. Okay. In the last several years, we've had the technology for a while, but we are now commercializing it is direct lithium extraction. And so direct lithium extraction is um, something that when I say the big boys, I mean, folks like Standard Lithium, Abermoral, the companies that have been in the brine game for a while and are now realizing that uh, instead of going after constituent element uh, constituent elements in minerals like bromine that lithium is really where the money's going to be. And so the difference between evaporation ponds and direct lithium extraction is evaporation ponds are really, really large volumes. It's a 12 to 18 month process and you treat, uh, the water with things like calcium hydroxide, sodium carbonate in order to reach your final product. A direct lithium extraction process is more of what we think of as you know, like a processing plant where gas is yeah. coming out of the of the plant. That's, that, that's the most analogous, um, uh, kind of footprint that I can think of. So it's a processing facility. Um, the lithium is absorbed with, and people use lots of different materials to absorb it. But <clears> lithium is, is kind of separated by adding a material to, uh, this processing, um, uh, patented process. And everybody's kind of secretive about what they use right now. And. Uh, but then it's ultimately washed with hydrochloric acid and that gives you the final product. And the difference is is that you can do that in a matter of hours and not a matter of months. And I think that that's what's going to take, uh, places that have large amounts of lithium in their brine water, like Cass County, Texas and Southwest Arkansas, that whole region, uh, that lies on top of the smack over, um, into commercial uh viability quantities of lithium um which we just haven't been able to do for years and years we've all heard uh, in the oil and gas business before about the smack over formation not a new formation yeah, yeah. it's produced oil and gas uh, i think the first commercial well was drilled in that formation in the 1920s it's come it's produced commercial oil and gas quantities forever oh and god when you yeah hear, when you hear about a bunch of these old uh guys that have been in the formation forever. You know, you think of those conventional vertical uh, players uh, in that uh, deep East Texas, Southwest Arkansas kind of Magnolia area. Real oilmen, right? Um, <laughs> the, guys, the guys that roll down their window just enough to be heard, not enough to let any of the air conditioning escape kind of folks. Yeah. When, yeah, when you see them in the field, those guys talked about the smack over as, quote, a sea of water with a little bit of oil. And yeah. I think now uh, we're all seeing the benefits of it being a sea of water. And to put this into a better context, the, the, the kind of what they call the golden triangle of lithium at the moment is the confluence of three borders, Bolivia, Argentina, and Chile. And that area right now, um, you see commercial concentrations of lithium in the brine that's coming up as around 400 to 600 uh, milligrams per liter, and that's like the gold standard across the world. Uh, standard lithium, which operates in Cass County is Cass County brine, uh, re entered a well outside of McLeod. Which, for those of you not from that area, you'll look down and you'll see M C L E O D spelled and pronounce it McLeod. Um, and the locals <laughs> call it cloud, uh, but, true East Texas fashion in true east texas fashion <laughs> um and they re-entered a well and their initial results in march of 2023 were i believe 643 milligrams per liter so wow. right on par with the gold world class yeah world class world class resource the difference between the golden triangle and east texas is the amount of rainfall they get right i mean the the, the chilean desert gets a lot less rainfall than east texas and so you can't you use evaporation ponds uh in east texas like you could in the golden triangle and so now that we have you know dle technology that's going to allow us to extract it with a plant instead of a big evaporation pond that resource becomes just competitive on an international level and the the most fascinating part is that i think it is competitive now and that's without you know a major innovation, refining. Ma- yeah, major innovation, right? We are just—it's a very nascent industry. I'm excited to see where the industry is in five to seven years. Um, yeah. we all know what we've seen in you know technological increases and horizontal drilling and fracking and things like that over the last two decades. Imagine where lithium is 20 years from now.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, just to to talk about the whole, the, the smack over and all that. I mean, gosh, we've we've at least five or 600,000 acres worth of smack over, yeah. you know, two different times. Um, yeah. You know, North Louisiana, Southern Arkansas, through all that. It's, all that's very interesting. And, and um, you know, it, it's, it's, you think of other plays like the, the Austin Chalk through Central Louisiana. Um, mm-hmm. What, what is that? I mean, so is it's, it's not just where you have a lot of produced water, right? It's, it has to be areas that are lithium rich or is lithium present and all these other brine produce heavy brine producing plays. What's the, what's the concept there? How do you test that? How do you, how do they identify the areas that are viable?
0: Yeah. So we're really kind of, um, at the beginning of figuring out what those viable areas are, the easiest thing to do right now is re-enter old well bores and test water. Uh, one of the things is when this industry first, when I say the industry first started, when the kind of land play in that. Northeast part of Texas, Southwest part of Arkansas came about. People were thinking of it in different ways. They said, okay, we have water cuts on this, this old vertical production. Maybe that's how we go get this produced water. Uh, then people were thinking, well, man, these are large commercial quantities. Let's just drill these deep brine wells. Um, and I think it's gonna be a little different depending on if you're in Texas or Arkansas or Louisiana. Um, right now people in Texas are re-entering old well bores, testing water figuring out whether it's viable. Um, Louisiana hasn't seen the, quite the benefit of the rush to get water out of the smack over that Texas and Arkansas have. And we've got to keep in mind the smack over goes all the way across to Florida, right? Yeah. Like it is, yeah. it is not just a Southwest Arkansas, you know, Northeast Texas thing, it is all no. across the,
2: the Southeastern United States. I mean, um, we've seen smack over in Mississippi, Texas, Arkansas in yeah. Louisiana over, over the years. Yeah.
0: And, and, and one of the things that's going to make, uh, determining viability easier is that, and I worked on this at the legislator, the legislature this year, um, through some lobbying efforts for clients, we realized, uh, late last year, early this year, that the railroad commission of Texas, which has jurisdiction over all things, oil and gas, right. They had a permitting process for brine wells but those were brine injection wells yeah we had we had no, no no one had ever looked at this until the last few years and said man i really want to take a lot of salt water out of the earth without getting the the oil and gas along with it right everybody just wanted to put it back into the earth
2: yeah and, it was just something oh, they had man. to deal with yeah yeah there's there's
0: a, there's a, a, a another paper recently white paper recently written on brine and i think it's called a uh, One man's trash is another man's treasure, uh, and that's really appropriate for brine at the moment. So we went to the Railroad Commission and we said, hey, just want to make sure you guys are looking at this the same way we are. Your regulations really only account for permitting wells where we are injecting brine, primarily for secondary recovery operations. And uh, they said, yep, that's our brine and well statute. So, we went and rewrote the legislation and, uh, or rewrote the statutes and passed some legislation this last session that gives the Railroad Commission jurisdiction over actual brine production wells. That's the nomenclature that we gave it, or brine production wells. So, that was kind of the first step um, in figuring out okay, for viability, we've got to drill these test wells. Uh, We need to figure out what the permitting process is for that. Let's clarify it at the railroad commission. So we did it right now. Um, in Texas, uh, we have yet to see a rush of people drilling their own brine production wells. And I regularly check permits to see what's going on. We've had some re-entries of well bores for the purpose of testing brine. Um, but no big major commercial drilling plans at the moment, because we are still really early in the land grab phase. And yeah, uh, for most of your listeners who are, who are landmen that's the most interesting part for me is the land grab phase because the first question is what exactly are you grabbing are we are we grabbing the surface owner are we grabbing the mineral owner or are we doing some combination of the two and i think that that question will be better answered during the next legislative session which is 2025 unfortunately but until then it's kind of going to be a wild west and so here's the lay of the land in Texas, so to speak on ownership of brine and ownership of constituent elements and minerals. And I'll start by giving an analog to Arkansas. Arkansas has had a brine industry for a long time. And in the 1970s, people realized that you could produce brine to extract commercial quantities of bromine and bromine is used in a lot of different stuff. And so companies like abramural. Uh, have been quietly operating in Southwest Arkansas, outside of Magnolia and El Dorado and places like that for decades. And in the seventies, people realized the same issue we're seeing now in Texas. Oh my gosh. When people reserved oil, gas, and other minerals, were they intending to reserve constituent elements and minerals in the salt water? Was that something that was foreseeable at the time? So subject to this weird, um, doctrine, uh, called the uh, Strohauer doctrine, I believe, or, or something to that effect in Arkansas, they settled ownership of constituent elements, uh, and minerals, particularly brine and lithium through legislation. And they settled on it. And, uh, you, you don't have those questions in Southwest Arkansas, but you jump down to Texas and we haven't made it that far yet. And in Texas, we have a much stronger mineral lobby than they do in Arkansas. And case law in Texas has been settled for a long time that brine itself is owned by the surface owner. There's this old case called Robbins versus Robinson Petroleum. And in that case, an operator was producing brine as part of a big unit from one surface owner's tract uh, and using it to, as kind of a secondary recovery operation, to water flood the rest of the unit to drive up reservoir pressure. And the service owner came and said, Hey, man, you're using part of my estate for the benefit of other mineral estates. I get it if you're using my surface to benefit my mineral estate, but you're taking my surface and going to produce other mineral estates with it. I don't think you can do that. And in that case, the Supreme Court of Texas came and said, yep, brine's a part of the surface state. So we've operated for years that brine is part of the surface state. What it didn't say was the constituent elements and minerals in brine, what estate are they part of? We know things like salt are part of the mineral estate and obviously there are high dilutions of of salt and hypersaline water like brine um so will the court ultimately say that lithium when people did things like reserved oil gas and other minerals uh is part of that other minerals reservation i mean and it's very basic function uh lithium is a mineral i mean it's one of the things listed on um the periodic table i i recently wrote a paper uh, on the topic called element three. And the reason I named it element three is cause lithium falls is the third element on the periodic chart. Uh, go back to your
2: high school chemistry class, whether you loved it or not. <laughs> I just had a flashback to Mr. Sensat's class.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shout out, shout out to Mrs. Wilson for me. Um, so the, the, the question is a good one, but until the legislature says, or the legislature will say it first, right? Court cases take forever. We'll never get a court case in the next two years that says who owns lithium. Yeah. The legislature will have to address it in 2025. So what do you do until then? Like, how do you approach it? We, and when I say we, I mean kind of the the oil and gas lawyer bar. We all think ultimately that lithium is a part of the reservation of other minerals. We, <clears throat> we have this situation that popped up in the 80s where things like, Uranium and lignite and all those other minerals that we forgot about when we were making oil, gas, and other mineral reservations were litigated. Like, were those part of the reservation of other minerals? Uh, so, so at the time the court kind of did this bifurcation of how you determine it. And you look at the date in, uh, the 1980s and if your reservation is before a certain date, you, you may look at this thing called the surface destruction test, is it gonna destroy the surface of your estate to go get this mineral? And if it does, maybe the minerals part of the surface state. If, um, you're after that date in 1980, you look at this thing called the ordinary and natural meaning test. And so is lithium a part of the ordinary and natural meaning of the word mineral? And I think the, the question for the second part those reservations after 1980 is yes, absolutely. Yes. I think that people, if you say, what is lithium? The response would be, oh yeah, it's a mineral, um, or it's a mineral like substance, um, Now the, the question about those reservations before then, the whole surface destruction test issue, uh, is a, is an interesting one because technically because Brian is part of the surface, are you destroying
2: the surface estate in order to acquire lithium?
0: And that's a fascinating one for me. It's
2: a, it's, it plays both sides of the fence, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, I wonder, you know, you, you hope that Texas does a good job of defining and creating clearly defined rules you know, for us to go by, but guy, can you imagine if we end up with something like Ohio, where you've got, you know, severs in time and you've got at least two sides of, of the estate and hope and hope that it works out.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately, um, Brent, that's, that's kind of the state of the world right now. So the, the five or six lawyers who are really handling this topic and several of them are located in Northeast Texas because they are in the heart of it. Right. Yeah, we've, we've all had multiple conversations about how are you handling it? Like, what are you advising clients to do? So there are a couple of groups out there that are just hell bent that the surface owner is going to end up with lithium. So you're seeing them only take brine leases from the surface owner. There there's not all downside to that effect until lithium gets the benefit of being the mineral estate, which in Texas minerals are the dominant estate, right? That's what allows Mm -hmm. us to go drill oil and gas wells without having to go get a surface use agreement. We all do go get surface use agreements because we want good relationships with the surface owner, but technically in Texas you, you don't have, have to. to. Yeah. And uh had plenty of surface owners surprised when they see a drilling rig rolling up to the uh front gate that they had no idea was was coming. And we need right now, until lithium gets the benefit of being part of that dominant estate, we need to go get the imprimatur of the surface owner in order to produce this brine. I mean, until we get the benefit that oil and gas gets from being part of the dominant estate, you gotta go do it. So it's something you need to go do. But if you are of the opinion that lithium is eventually going to be part of the mineral estate, you need to go take the mineral estate too. So what's the answer? Do you go get a stipulation between the parties on who owns the lithium? That'll and never happen. And <laughs> welcome luck. for six months of negotiating. Uh, do you just roll the dice um, that it's going to be part of the mineral state? And if I have a betting man, I'm betting that the mineral lobby in Texas is good enough that it, it is going to be ultimately declared part of the mineral state. Um, but how do you divide payments between a surface owner and a mineral owner once you start producing? And all of those questions are really good ones that don't have clear answers.
2: Yeah. So what, uh, what to follow up on Arkansas? What did Arkansas's legislature rule on ownership of the lithium?
0: Yeah. So they gave it to the surface owner. um, And that is subject to this weird doctrine. And so they, they have a, um, you're talking about Ohio, where they kind of look at things like uh, intent on um yeah. excuse me. I'm sorry. I misspoke on Arkansas. They gave it to the mineral owner. Their statute specifically defined the word mineral uh, to include, quote, salt water, whose naturally dissolved um components or solutes are used as a source of raw materials. So we have a blueprint in Texas if we want to give lithium to the mineral estate. We have a blueprint in Texas for um what they do in Arkansas. Now, the one carve out in Arkansas um for the statute that gives it to the mineral owner is that weird case I talked about earlier. I think it's called Stro Hacker um, is the name of the case. And that looks a lot like that Ohio thing you were talking about earlier, Brent, where they look at the date of the severance and what was the intent yeah. of the parties and was it valuable at the time? And that creates a, that can create a bunch of weird litigation. And in fact, there's kind of a cottage industry in and around Magnolia at the moment where a few lawyers are um, trying a to, weasel around it and, uh huh, yeah. are trying to, yeah. trying to bust some leases based on that, that strohacker hacker doctrine. Um, but yeah, the, the Arkansas statute settled all that. So people go and get the mineral estate and they produce bromine and it's boomed this industry. And in fact, the first direct lithium extraction plant, uh, is in Southwest Arkansas. Um, I believe just east of, uh, El Dorado, uh, and it's called the Lanxess plant L A N X E S S the first commercial DLE plant in the United States. And I, I mean, it is there for a reason, but the thing that excites me is that they thought that was a good enough brine resource to put a DLE plant there. And they're about a hundred to 150 milligrams per liter, less than Cass County, Texas. Wow. And when you're looking at a 33% increase on the amount of lithium you have in your brine, it just makes a DLE plant all that
2: more profitable. And so I think you'll and see a bunch of them start to go up. Got And you factor in just the commodity price increase that for sure we'll see as you know, you continue continue to see the use of batteries and, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. My question and my curiosity there was, so, you know, in traditional oil and gas, you know, you drill a well and as soon as you start producing it, it's declining, right? What if, what have these companies seen with the decline curve on lithium extraction? I mean, is this something yeah. they've got to keep punching holes, you know, and, and tap new resources or through that recycling process, you know, I presume they reinject after the extraction. Um,
1: yeah, what are they the,
2: seeing? Like what, what has the industry learned or, or observed at least on that front?
0: Yeah, the only analog we really have from a decline curve perspective is watching what folks like abramural did in brine production for bromine. We don't have a good enough sample size yet on the lithium side to determine what that's gonna look like. But if you look at folks like abramural for brine production on bromine, they drill a lot of wells and guys, these wells are not cheap. I mean, they, they look they're, you know. 10,000 foot vertical wells, but they're the AFE's on them look like horizontal wells. One of the reasons wow. is, is you have to build, uh, out the casing and the pipe and everything to withstand this really high, uh, highly corrosive substance that's coming up the well bore. I mean, we, yeah. we, we all, we all know that, you know, you spend three weeks at the coast down in Texas <laughs> and you start seeing little <laughs> rust spots on your car frame, right? Because yeah the air is just so full of salt and salt is so highly corrosive well imagine you have uh in, in the grand scheme of things salt water in the ocean uh, as compared to the ocean of salt water under the ground this is hypersaline and so you yeah. you have that touch in the pipe and coming up the well bore they replace that casing all the time uh and that wow. pipe all the time and that's what makes those things so expensive so i think the resource itself they're not seeing a decline they'll see a decline in reservoir pressures um because of where they're producing water from but from a you know if you're looking at it thinking of like a boe perspective the water you're getting out is still having the same amount of milligrams per liter it's just the amount of water you're able to get because of pressure issues and so they end up going and putting another straw on the ground because of the way reservoir pressure is as that makes produced, sense makes water yeah makes uh,
1: sense. i think i think it'd be good to get an understanding of the economies of lithium Ooh. uh just you know what does it cost to run these dles And maybe even the cost of an evaporation method that's like in Nevada, but then also what is the market like for lithium and what is the real potential for profitability?
0: Yeah, the market I'll, I'll start with the market for lithium and then we'll kind of dive into operating costs. The market to lithium over the last 20 years has been fascinating. So from 2010 to 2018, we saw a three X in lithium demand and that's not unexpected and that. 2010 to 2018 was kind of the decade of uh, the, the EV. We saw Tesla and Chevy and Ford and everybody introduce really commercial, uh, attractive electric vehicles. Uh, no one wanted to drive a Prius. Everyone wants to drive a Tesla. And we saw that become kind of vogue. And not surprising that lithium demand 3 x in that time period. What is really surprising is the projections that big investment banks big reputable investment banks are giving on the demand for lithium from 2018 to 2028 where they say it's going to 10x and i think that is largely driven by not only evs but battery storage projects and these battery storage projects are a big high demand on lithium so if you take that as your fundamental premise that the market demand is going to be there well, you know there's going to be an increase in the cost of of lithium as a, a raw material so i have a and and I'll, I'll pull it up so i don't misquote it i have a chart um that was kind of the cost of lithium reuters did this article back in 2019 called game of minds and this was before we really started looking at lithium extraction through a dle lens and the lithium cost per ton, uh, got all the way up to 24,000 per metric ton. And when I say metric ton, I mean, T O N N E, which for anybody in the United States, who cares the difference between like a ton tonne <laughs> and a T O N N E ton is like 36 pounds so whatever, but that's what everybody measures what everybody measures, uh, lithium, um, in. And so it was at $24,000 in 2019. Last year, lithium was trading at 36,000 bucks per ton, at any ton. Wow. And I think that you'll probably see there's some projections that show that number going between 40 and 50 in the next few years. So if you're thinking of uh, the numbers as being driven by demand and that demand is driving stuff up to $40,000 per ton of lithium, then okay, what are, what are our operating costs? Your operating costs are actually really low on evaporation they're less than a dle plant so um in their last 10k i believe standard lithium put their operating costs on a dle plant at about four thousand dollars per ton and the the cost of evaporation i have read um can be as low as like twelve hundred dollars per ton but yeah here's the deal is it costs you twelve hundred dollars per ton it takes you eighteen months to get that ton. This yeah. costs you four thousand dollars per ton, and it it's takes ten hours. Yep. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. And so that that economy of scale is certainly present there. You are able to scale up much quicker on production, and as a result, you're willing to take a hickey on what it costs to produce. And remember, we can't do evaporation everywhere. There are very yeah. few. You have high to be in arid soil. climates, right? Yeah. 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 You just you just can't do it everywhere. Um, And outside of, you know, the valley in Nevada, uh, we just don't have those commercial facilities in the United States. And I am a firm believer that we won't and the DLE will drive the industry. So when you're, when you're selling, um, lithium at $40,000 and your, your costs to get it to market or 10% of that pretty, pretty good margin.
1: Uh, yeah, that's something that, that is, is really attractive. Yeah. And so what's the, the capacity of like a of like a well? Like how many tons do you think you could get from a well? Is there any like any metrics on yeah,
0: that? No one has released any good metrics so okay. far. And and that's because from a lithium standpoint, no one's really had big commercial wells. I mean, they've re-entered well Wars to figure out tests and everybody's okay. still in the land grab phase. I think we'll know more of that probably in the next 12 months. Um and I think they'll release that information even uh, later longer than that <laughs> yeah yeah you know they, they, they have an obligation to their shareholders the publicly traded companies to eventually release it but it's this fine line between what do I want to tell my competitors and what do I want to make my stock price do um, yeah it's a fun dance that I'm glad I don't have to do
2: yeah so on the commercial terms so you, you know we talked about operating calls how are the are these leases structured what are we seeing on that front what's to the mineral owner or the landowner. How is that compensation factored in?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good, good question. And it actually differs between the state of Arkansas and the state of Texas. So because the state of Arkansas, it has oil and gas present, right? We all have seen the smack overproduced. We all watched the Fayetteville shale, uh, play for a little bit. Chesapeake was a mover and shaker in Arkansas for a bit. Um, they aren't a nascent mineral industry, but they're nowhere near what we are in Texas. And when people started putting lease forms together in Arkansas, it was really just a rental approach and granted when they settled legislation that said the mineral owner owned it by defining salt water as a mineral, the competition between surface and the mineral estate went away. And so it was kind of like, we know you, there's no risk. We're going to pay you what's market. And they did a rental approach and you know, you. It's all rentals as low as $2 and 50 cents per acre per year. And then you started seeing rentals that were a little higher. There were some folks that were, um, paying per barrel of brine, uh, and we're talking in like the single digit cents per barrel of brine uh, kind of numbers. Then when it moved down to Texas and we started seeing the land grab in Texas, mineral owners were like, shoot, nah. to create a <laughs> complete alignment. We want royalty, y'all. We don't want yeah. just this rental. What do you think you are, a deer hunter? We're not going to pay yeah. you. A, you can't pay me just the price per acre to use my land. <laughs> and so they negotiated this uh, form of royalty that's much lower than what we would see in the oil and gas world. I mean, the, you're, you're seeing single-digit royalties, not 25%. Yeah. And I think that'll be driven up over the next couple of years as the commercial viability is proven out. Uh, but until then you're going to get this weird hybrid of a price per acre and a royalty. And so what it's really turned into is this price per acre, um, during an option period that gives everybody the right to go out and test water. And then once the viability of the, you know, it's the equivalent of running seismic on an oil and gas, Mm uh, property. Once the viability is proven, they enter the primary term and they have a certain number of years to drill a well or pool it with lands that a well is drilled with. And typically, they're still paying a rental during the primary term. But as soon as a well is drilled, it's a combination of a rental and a royalty.
2: Yeah, uh, makes sense.
0: That, that royalty is so low that it sort of is de minimis in the grand scheme of things right now. Um, but I think eventually, uh, yeah. you start seeing
2: those royalties increase. The market dictates those things. Uh, the curiosity, the, the thing that comes to mind, you know, you think about, you know, the smack over area, um, a lot of existing oil and gas production there and existing oil and yeah. gas leases. Yeah. Uh, many of which are very old, you know, just standard yeah. oil, gas and other minerals. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I could see where if you've got a, an eighth royalty, oil, gas and other minerals lease through, I don't know, Carthage fuel, you know, just as an example, yeah. that's generally the part of the world. Um, yeah is the the i guess are we leaning toward the thought that hey that oil and gas lease is going to cover lithium uh if legislature deems it's a mineral state mm-hmm. um, i mean th- would that basically eliminate the viability of big swaths of the, the potential extraction area because of the economics of this existing lease that's an eighth or a quarter twenty percent that- yeah
0: yeah, Brent, I think that's a real possibility i I think a legislature should be careful. And I say this with oil and gas companies as clients, right? I think the legislature should be careful of giving the oil and gas industry a windfall in their, by saying their oil and gas leases covered, um, a lease of lithium, uh, we've, we've had issues where we say, okay, does this oil and gas lease cover this substance? And in fact, we had this weird case, um, When produced water started to become so valuable in West Texas for lots of reasons. Uh, primarily because they, you know, we all discovered that you could recycle produced water and use it in drilling and completions and sell it back as fresh water. There were some folks that went and took quote unquote produced water leases. And then sued the operator saying, Hey, that produced water that you're taking away is actually mine. Um, it came up the well bore, but it with your oil and gas, but it's still mine. So there was a case called cactus water. Uh, appropriately named for a water dispute in west texas where the issue was did the lease of oil and gas also include uh produced water and the answer at the court of appeals at least so far has been yes it did and it was because we defined oil and gas waste in an ancillary statute to include uh salt water uh, produced up the wellbore. and <clears throat> i have a a few issues with that case, uh, quite honestly. So I think they're, and they're taking it up to the Supreme court right now. I think the Supreme court is probably going to take it because it's a pretty sexy topic and we may see that topic change a little bit. I hope that through legislation, um, we can kind of separate lithium, uh, from what was leased under oil, gas and other minerals. But that being said, I was doing a title review the other day in West Texas and i was uh looking uh, on behalf of a company that was taking leases uh for the purpose of producing lithium brine. one of the weird clauses said uh, everything that is this lease also includes everything that is not oil and gas and then goes on to list what was essentially the entire uh periodic periodic table, table. <laughs> um, and so you look down and it was, I can't remember. It was like a 1943 lease. And you're like this guy, put this lease together back in 1943 and almost 100 years later, that lease is about to get the windfall of potential lithium production. So then your analysis of how to acquire the rights to produce the lithium looks a lot different, uh, especially if it was a fee owner making that lease at the time. Right. Cause then you have no issues about whether it was severed from the surface or the mineral estate. And so your agreement to produce lithium looks a
2: lot like a farm out um, more mm-hmm. than it does uh, a straight up lease of of the substance. Yeah, well, that's what's going to be curious. You know, you've got major players that own leasehold rights, you know, throughout mm-hmm. Texas, oil and mm-hmm. gas players, right? Mm-hmm. And they're not stupid. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, well, just as much as the mineral owner lobby in Texas is going to be pushing for that, I would imagine, that, you know, the big players on the operating side are going to have a, a a bowl in the pick too and an argument yeah that, yeah you know, texoga so tip all of
0: those organizations will have a big voice in what happens in the legislature this next round i mean we we've probably all seen the press release that talks about exxon moving into southwest arkansas and taking a several thousand acre position in southwest yep. arkansas for the purpose of acquiring brine um yeah. i believe uh Tetra is the other player in Southwest Arkansas that entered, I think maybe they entered into a JVA with Exxon about, um, processing the water that, that Exxon's gonna produce. I, and I think it's just a matter of time right now, we haven't had the big boys move into Texas. And I think the impediment, if there is any call to action here about what we do as an industry. I think the impediment is that we need to sort out the title issues so that we can allow yeah. the industry to flourish. And once we sort out the title issues. Guys, it'll look like a california gold rush i promise
2: yeah yeah i know a bunch of land they are there hoping that'll happen <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah me too uh, yeah yeah well um gosh reagan wealth of knowledge thank you so much for joining us today really appreciate your time and certainly your expertise and um who knows man we might have to reconvene and uh give some updates here in a year or so hopefully it's favorable for the uh for the state and, and uh, can give some clarity as we get into 2025 and and beyond um awesome man thank you so much is anything like how can we um people reach out to you i mean obviously you're 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 in high demand for your expertise and the work that you've done to to um educate your clients and, and the industry on on this phase how can people reach out to you and get in touch with you
0: yeah. People can reach out to me. If you go to Jackson Walker's website, which is www.jw.com. You can search my name, Reagan marble, and I will pop up and all my contact information is there on my page. And I really appreciate you guys having me out today. I can't promise that any of the information I gave you was accurate, but I said it with hundred <laughs> percent confidence. So I hope you can take that to the bank. Hey man, it's a landman's motto. Razzle dazzle, smoke and mirrors. You know? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I, I will say, I started, uh, as a surface landman for a wind energy company, Um, uh, put myself through law school. And so, uh, when I was going and taking, uh, wind leases in West Texas, um, my oil and gas professor at the time actually told these stories about, you know, landmen going in and eating blueberry pie from the widow and no joke. I went outside of Lubbock, Texas and met with this widow who owned a large surface estate And I'm not kidding. She offered me cherry pie in one of our first meetings. And I thought, here I am. I'm the example of Larry Landman from my law school class. Uh, I'm that guy. That was my uh, land and surface title were my, my first love. It just so happened that I became an oil and gas lawyer to pay the bills. Well, you're the smart one. (laughs) You're the smart (laughs) guy. I don't know about that.
1: Man. This has been a blast. Thank you so much for your time, Regan. We'll hope to have you on again soon to give us some updates. All right. Thank you, guys. I sure appreciate it. Appreciate it, bud. Thanks for listening to The Land Department. Check out our website in the show notes or visit dudley-land.com to learn more about us.